when we hear God, different perceptions come to mind. There are those that have the view of God as the Muslim terrorist who gets this message from God that he's to strap a bomb around himself or herself and to go into a crowd of of those who don't deserve to live because they don't worship Allah. Then there are those who are called deists who believe that God made everything, but like a clock, he wound it up and decided to leave it alone and let it run without any type of interference. And so God is there, but he really is not involved in the lives of people or in creation. And then there are those who refer to themselves as Hindus who believe that there are many, many gods. And the main god, Brahman, is one who is a life force that flows in and out of every living creature. Almost kind of like the idea of Star Wars. You remember the Star Wars movies? Luke, feel the force. And the idea that God is just some kind of force that flows along in people's lives. But thankfully, when Jesus described God, um, it went beyond just a mere description of words. It, it was a word picture and probably as beloved a parable as any that I know of in the Scriptures. Found in Luke 15, he gives a portrait And often we refer to this as the prodigal son, which is the wayward or the lost son. But I really feel like that this parable is a story about the father. And it shows a picture of God, what he is like, his his heart. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And I'll read from uh, to what is to many of you a familiar passage. It's Luke 15 and... I'm going to read 11 through 21. So I ask you to turn there, Luke 15, starting at verse 11, and to stand in God's honor when you find that passage. So I read aloud His Word. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let's pray. Father, as we come, Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Sometimes we have some misperceptions 
of who you are and of your heart, Lord. And Father, thank you that Jesus, as he told this story, was making a very important point, Father, about your heart, Lord, for us. And I just pray that as we look at your word tonight, I pray you speak to us and remind us of what you're really like, oh God. Guide us through this time that remains, Lord. May we enjoy you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Three things um, here as we learn from this parable, this story, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. According to the Jewish law, the older son would receive two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would receive one-third of the estate. And what we have here is a younger son who did not want to wait for his inheritance. Life was moving and he wanted to enjoy life. And so he told his dad, I need my inheritance now. He wanted his one-third of the property immediately so that he could take his inheritance and enjoy it. And as we read about it, um, I think we get the picture of a of a father who loved him and who was willing to love him enough to let him leave. Sometimes we find ourselves wanting to micromanage and to control one another. And the truth of the matter is, although we all are control freaks, we don't have control. We barely control ourselves, much less the other people who are in our lives and often when we try to micromanage and, and put the fist down uh, to control, it just makes it worse and draws the wedge further until there's no relationship at all. But in, in this picture here, we, we have a, a father who said, Son, I love you, and he let him go. And as I think about this, I think about our God. God says, I love you. I sent Jesus to die for you. I've done all that I can to show you that love, but he doesn't force us to stay close. He doesn't follow us waiting to zap us. I'm just waiting for you to sin so I can let you have it, buddy. That's not God's heart. God wants us to love him, but he didn't make us robots. He doesn't force us to follow him and to serve him because true love involves I have to have a choice. And he wants us to come of our own accord and of our own will, our own volition. And that's his heart. And, and, and that's the heart that's represented in this story. The boy's dad said, okay, son. And it took him some time to get that money together. But he was able to say, I love you, so you're free to go. So it is with our heavenly father. The trouble is often when uh, he lets us go, and then things don't go so well, we want to blame him for our circumstances or where we find ourselves. And Proverbs 5, 21 and 22, I it shared that last week as well. It says, For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. The picture here is, why do we play these games with God? God sees everything. He knows what you're doing. You can't fool God. You can't outmaneuver God. You, you, he's God. He says, God sees you. 
And he says, when you make those choices, those evil deeds, which is leaving God out of your choices and out of your life, they trap you, they ensnare you, and it becomes like ropes that hold you tight. Uh, in the New Living Translation, verse 22 reads, An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. People will find themselves in a place they never intended to be tied up in the choices they made and the sins that they've committed and feeling unloved and, and feeling like uh, they've been let down. Why does God allow that to happen? Why did God allow Adam and Eve to stray from him and to disobey and to eat of the forbidden fruit? Why, why did he allow David to see Bathsheba and to call him up and have this whole chain of sin follow as a result of David's lust and his choices that were against God? Um, why did this young son decide to leave a father who loved him and stray out on his own? But God allows that. that, that that's God's heart, but it breaks his heart. Um, some of you have a loved one who has hurt you deeply. Um, for whatever reason, that person will not listen. You want them to know Jesus. You want them to follow God. And you understand, as I've shared so many times, the reason God hates sin is not because He's some mean uh, celestial being. It's because sin destroys. Sin separates. Sin hurts us. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from the people we love. Sin separates us from our health. Sin separates us from opportunities. Sin separates. And God hates it because we're not able to be who He wants us to be and to enjoy the blessings He wants us to enjoy. And it hurts God. And, and some of you may have someone and you love them and, and you think, man, I might as well talk to that wall because that person's not going to listen and it just crushes you, and it breaks your heart, and you want to be able to be that control freak and micromanage their lives and make sure they follow God. The Heavenly Father doesn't force. So we need to learn that we can't force as well. A second lesson here is the God who runs toward you when you return. Uh, notice as we get this description, verse 13, it tells us once he got his share of the property, the younger son got together all he had, he packed it all up, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And that old saying, uh, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. The idea was, let's just live it up to the full. In modern terms, you know, what, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, you know, all, let the imagination run wild, do all that you can, enjoy all that you have. And, and that's what happened. That it, he, he went after full fury, uh, the idea of self-fulfillment. Uh, well, you know, if it feels good, do it. And this guy tried it as long as he had money. <laughs> but eventually his money ran out, and so did the so-called friends. And so did the so-called fun and opportunities. And he found himself in a place that no Jewish guy wants to be, and that's eating with pigs eating pig slop, you know, considered the most unclean place. And, and it talk about being humbled. Talk about, as we say, having to eat crow. That's where he found himself until he reached uh, his POTD, the point of total desperation. 
is at that point, as you notice, uh, verse 16, it says, He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. <laughs> um, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Um, you know, it's interesting. Here, uh, as Jesus tells this story, the audience that heard this were familiar with another parable. And in that particular parable, the story goes the same. Talked about a, a father. He had two sons. The younger son wants his inheritance. He goes away. He squanders that wealth. But then when he comes back to the father, the father looks at him and says, Don't expect to come back here. You got your inheritance. You wasted it. <laughs> you squandered it. You're no longer a son of mine. Why are you coming back here? You made your choice. You've got to live with it. So Jesus blew them all away when he came and, and, and shared what he shared. Why? Because they had a picture of God that was very legalistic, very narrow, very strict, where you've got to follow these rules and, and you've got to meet these requirements and, and you've got to do this list of things that will please God. And if you don't do them, God's going to be mad at you and God's going to reject you. And, and there was this false idea of God that had been perpetrated by religious teachers that wanted to look better than everybody else. So they made this long list of hard stuff to do so they could look good among the, everyone that was there around them. And, and Jesus changed the story to reflect the truth that God is not some hard God that doesn't love and care about you. Instead, as, as we see how, he, how God was open how he, how, how this father received his son. Matter of fact, I, this is from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 through 21. It gives us a description of what a rebellious son deserves who does not listen to his father who is in disobedience. This is starting at verse 18. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, This son of ours is a stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town must stone him to death. <laughs> In this way you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear it and be afraid. So this, this was the, this was the picture of man. You don't if you're rebellious, you die. You don't get compassion. But let's look at how the father responded. He didn't call the elders together. He he didn't go after this boy. He didn't he didn't want for this boy to die to be stoned to death for his disobedience. That wasn't his heart at all. In verse 18, he sets out to go back to his father. And so, verse 20, we read, he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, 
and kissed him. So, uh, the picture is, this father was waiting. I imagine he went out a couple of times during the day. He prayed for his son. He wanted his son to return. He had no idea where his son was. But he wanted him to come home. And so he would come out and he'd, he'd look and he'd just hope, you know. Well, I see him today. Will he be coming home? And one day, he went outside and he looked and he saw this figure. And he said, could it be? And, but when he saw him, he didn't look like his son because he wasn't wearing the nice clothes he had on when he left. He was wearing rags and he was stooped over as if he was had been beaten or, you know, just the confidence taken out of him. And he was moving very slowly with his head down the ground, not looking straight ahead. And, and he thought, but could it be? And as he looked closer, there was recognition and there was a, there was a flicker in the eyes of the father. And he realized it was his son. And in that culture, the men would wear these, these robes. And it was very undignified to run in your robe. Guys just didn't do that. It was just not the, the, the proper masculine thing to do. So much for that stuff. He, he managed to pick up the corners of his robe and he took off in a sprint. And why? Because he loved his son. And so he, he ran toward him. And, and I love just the picture here that Jesus gives of the Father. He saw him. He was filled with compassion. His heart was full. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And, and in the Greek, this word means he just kept continuing to kiss his son. He just kept continuing to pour out affection toward his son. <laughs> and in the midst of that, his son um, managed to uh, speak. He said, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father didn't hear any of that. No, the, the, the father was not worried about what he looked like now. He, he wasn't, he wasn't, his concern was not where he had been. He was concerned with the fact he was home. That, that, that was the heart of the father, that he was home. And, and that's God's heart. He's broken when we stray. But his heart is he wants to come home. I've met people who have said, you know, you try to say, why don't you come to church? And they say, preacher, if I was to walk in that church, the roof would fall in. Seen some pretty bad people walk in church. The roof's still up. I mean, seriously. Just like this father. The father didn't quiz him. Now, just tell me where you have been, son. You kind of stink. I'd like to know what you've been up to. He didn't do any of that. He didn't care about his appearance. He didn't care about how he smelled. It wasn't any of that. He, he ran to him. He hugged him. And he began to cover him with kisses because he was saying, I love you, through his actions. And that's God. God says, just come home. I will receive you as you are if you just walk my way. Reminds me of that wonderful song. If you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive Him and all of your darkness will end. Within your heart, He'll abide. Hey, that's, that's God. God says, hey, just come home. Don't worry about 
what you've done. Don't worry about trying to appease me. Just come home. That's God's heart. Listen to Charles Spurgeon's words of this scene. It was not with icy eyes the father looked on his returning son. Love filled his heart as he beheld him. There was no anger in his heart toward his son. It was true that it was all his fault, but that did not come before his father's mind. It was the state he was in, his poverty, his degradation, that pale face of his so worn with hunger that touched his father to the quick. We read that the father ran. The compassion of God is followed by swift movements. He is slow to anger, but he is quick to bless. God comes flying in the greatness of his compassion to help every poor soul that returns to him. And one final great truth that reveals our God is he is a God who restores you when you repent. Look at his phrase here in verse 21 uh, that I read. He's sharing with his father as he's being covered with kisses. <laughs> he says, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Well, he's right on both accounts. He sinned against heaven. He sinned against the God of all gods. Who says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is righteous. Sin doesn't enter into God's presence. So he, when he sins, when we sin, we sin against God primarily. And David said that, God against you and you only have I sinned in one of his ancient songs. And it's true. And the second phrase is true as well. As he said to his earthly father, he said, I've sinned against you. And that's right. But the third thing that he said was distorted. And it was not completely true. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It may sound good on the surface. I mean, he did commit a lot of bad stuff. But the truth of the matter is, he never was worthy to be called his son. He was part of the family, regardless of his actions. And the truth of the matter is, when we come to faith by Jesus Christ, he adopts us into his family. And we belong to Him regardless of where we stray and regardless of where we go. We are marked by Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit. We belong to Him. And, and you know, we can go to a far-off country and, and the relationship is still intact because of Jesus Christ and, and covered by Him and, and, and His perfect gift. But the fellowship is broken. We, we don't hear His voice. We don't respond to His call or follow His leading. But because that fellowship is broken because we're outside of his heart. Notice what happens next. Uh, <laughs> the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Time to take those rags you're in and give you, give you some good clothes. The best robe he placed on him. He didn't deserve it, did he? Put a ring on his finger. At some point, he probably hawked that ring, you know, pawned it at a pawn shop in order to get money as he ran out of money. And sandals on his feet. He said, um, you know, make me a slave, Dad. And, and But sandals were not for slaves. They didn't have shoes. Only those in the family, only those who, who were part of the family had sandals. So he was making a clear declaration 
You're more than just a servant, more than a sandal. You're my son. And then notice it says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate it. Well, it tells me if he was fattening up a calf, he was expecting a son to return. There was a reason for fattening that calf up because he was hoping the son to return. And he did. And regardless of where he's been, he's home. And now it's time to celebrate. Now it's time to rejoice. You, you see, the father's love didn't change because of the waywardness of the son. It never changed. And the son had regrets and he had scars because of his actions, because of his behavior. But the father said, I'll treat you as if you never left. You see, that's God's love. That's our God. There's scars and there's consequences for our sin. But when we come back to him, he says, I'll treat you as if you never left. That's our God. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He loves us. Uh, in Ernest Hemingway's book, Capital of the World, he wrote about a father in Spain who had a son named Paco. Um, Paco and his dad got in a big fight. and His son left home. and Several years later, no response from his son. The dad realized, man, I screwed up. I miss my son. He thought, how can, I, how can I reunite with my son? And so he goes to the paper in Madrid, and he takes out this ad. It says, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love, your father. What he didn't realize is how common a name Paco was in Madrid. And so the next morning at 9 o'clock, 600 showed up looking for their dad. You see, there were a lot of sons out there who needed to be forgiven. And we have a heavenly father. That's his message as he goes out with a cross. He says, meet me. All is forgiven. Come, Paco. Come, and we could put my name, your name in, in that place. Come, and, and you will be forgiven, and you will find hope, and, and you will find life, and you will find that forgiveness. Because it's not, this, the primary character in this story is not the wayward lost son. It's the waiting father. He says, come to me, and you'll find what your heart aches for. Come to me for that first time and you'll be forgiven. And when, if you're part of the family, you stray away. He says, I'll receive you. He says, I'll treat you as if you didn't leave. That, that's God. Now, I want to close here uh, with some thoughts um, from a different angle toward those who know a prodigal. Maybe it's your son, daughter, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a brother, sister, I don't know. But a relationship is severed, uh, it is broken, and uh, you're just hurt. You're just crushed. I think if nothing else, if you're in that situation, it reminds you how hurt God is when we run from Him instead of to Him. Just a couple of thoughts here. Uh, first, God understands your pain. 
you're not the first one to hurt because somebody you love has run away. That's God's heart. He loves us. And He's broken over us when we run away from Him instead of to Him. Secondly, don't jump in the pig pen to rescue that person. Too often what we do is, well, I don't want this person to suffer. I don't want this person to hurt. So, you know, if they go to jail, I'll pay their bail. Or if they get in this amount of trouble, I can't bear to see them hurt. That's not loving. So, you know, I'll I'll do this for them. I'll take care of this situation. The problem is, um, the only way they're going to come to their senses is to realize I'm in the pig pen. And too often, what we think is love just enables them to stay longer than they need to stay in the pig pen. It enables them to continue to run away from God instead of to run to God and keeps them from that POTD point of total desperation. Third, um, let them know the door is open. Although you won't rescue them from the pig pen, don't ever let them think that means you don't love them or that you've given up on them or that they're not worth your love. Don't ever let them think that they're not welcome back home. Because that's not God's heart. He says you're always welcome. And I think that's the kind of love we are called to have too. There doesn't need to be that wedge of bitterness that can't be healed. Um, And so there must be, well, there must be a willingness to forgive and to say, you know, the door's open. I love you. And that leads to the last one. Receive them uh, when they repent. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to say, I don't care what you do. You keep doing it. Things will be fine. We'll just overlook that stuff. We'll just kind of push it aside and, and it'll be okay. No, that's not what it is at all. There needs to be a real change of heart. In order for the relationship for there to be redemption, for things to be made right, we have to come to grips with truth. We have to come to grips with the fact that, hey, you know, you didn't run to God, you ran away from God. This is not all right. This is hurting me. This is hurting God. This is hurting other people. And and this is not right. This is not a picture of a God who just, He's waiting, but He's not saying, yeah, just go right ahead. Just keep hurting me and keep keep." in that pig pen. No, that's not the picture at all. Come to me and you'll find a God who's loved you the whole time and a God who will receive you as if you never left. But you've got to come back on my terms. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Father, as we've talked about you, God, it's easy to focus on the, those who have left you, the wayward ones, Lord. But I'm thankful that They're not the ones with the power. You are the one, God, who holds life and who is hope. And, Father, as we think of you, how awesome it is to realize that at one point you opened your arms and said, "Um, hey, I love you. I'm going to receive you. Just come on my terms. Just 
be willing to understand that you need a Savior. You need someone who will receive you and forgive you and welcome you into the family. And that's what you did in my life, God. For everyone who's a Christian, that happens. And if it hasn't happened, then that person's not a Christian. And so I guess um, first part of this uh, invitation, Lord, maybe someone here who's not been honest before you and said, God, I, I need to be a part of the family. I need you to forgive me. I need you to enter my heart. Um, I need that new start. I need to know that I'm welcome. Father, I, I pray you might speak to someone here who never quite has understood that before, and now they do. Now's the time to come home to a God who loves them. And, and maybe there's others here who, they're part of the family. They've come, and they've said, forgive me. I take Jesus' work at Calvary. And that, that's my hope. And yet, decided to run away from God instead of to God. And, uh, Father, it's time to come home. And God, you say, I'll treat you as if you never left. Well, may they just come home, Lord. That's all I ask. As we have an altar to pray at, as we have an opportunity to share with your people or, or to pray uh, with me at the front if they feel that's necessary, I, I just want you to work as you lead us. And so as we think about the waiting Father, Lord, we come to you seeking you, Lord, in this time. Work among us, Master. In Christ's name we pray.